When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Duval, welcome in to the Gen Jag podcast. First episode of the Jaguars offseason. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. NFL playoffs begin this week. We will make our predictions for Wild Card Weekend. Conference champions and, of course, our Super Bowl picks. We'll do all that today and we'll monitor that throughout the uh, throughout the playoff run here. Jeremy, my man, how are we doing? Oh man, we are doing good. We are doing good. You know, a Jaguars win to send us into the offseason, something that no one around this city thought was going to happen. No one nationally thought it was going to happen. Um, you know, so it's, it's just like that extra treat. You know, it's like an extra little cookie. You know, we, we did not expect it at all. The, the season has been an absolute flat out disappointment. Now, you know, let's not get crazy here and, and, you know, think that this changes anything. The season is still what it was, but it's very nice to kind of get that sour taste out of your mouth, at least for now, and kind of, you know, move forward into the off season with at least a little bit of a positive note here. Absolutely. It was regardless of what happened the rest of the season, it was still the perfect way to end the season. You can't take away what they did on Sunday. Obviously, like you said, that doesn't change what happened throughout the rest of the season. But still, this is the way you want to go into the offseason, especially for the young guys. Um, All the Jaguars players are sitting at home right now, but so are the Colts. Uh, They had their chance to go beat the Jags to make the playoffs. They didn't do that. It's now seven straight wins for the Jaguars over the Colts in Duval. Shout out to all the fans. Uh, who were at the bank. It was very loud. There was a lot of clown attire, but the fans that were there were very loud, and I think they certainly helped the team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So you have that win. Thanks to a Lions win over the Packers, the Jaguars retained the top spot in the NFL draft, which that'll be a key piece to their entire offseason. Before that contest, I tweeted out, all you really want to see is a good closing act from Trevor Lawrence, Continued good play from Walker Little, Andre Sisko, and Tyson Campbell, the three rookies that have been getting a lot of playing time outside of Trevor Lawrence. And you want to see Josh Allen and Miles Jack play well uh, to close the season out. And guess what? You got all that and then some from the Jaguars in their dominant victory over the Colts. Yeah, it was exciting to see. And, and you know, like you mentioned, the biggest thing right there was, was seeing some of these young guys in action. 
Um, Tyson Campbell has been improving. Um, everything that I've said about him this season, he has kind of slapped me in the face with. He's turned around and made it all better. I mean, he's he's becoming a, a very um, good coverage corner right now. Um, I, I still wouldn't say he's great yet, but you've got to like what you see, you know, with, with this young guy and, and pairing up with Shaq Griffin, who had a good year, um, you know, had some, you know, interception drop issues, but I mean, he's on defense for a reason. At the end of the day, he was, uh, you know, one of the better defensive players uh, that we had. So, Big free agent signing from last year, um, a good developing rookie this year, set you up nicely in the defensive backfield for next year. You talk about Andre Cisco. I mean, we've been clamoring for him to play all year, and he finally you know, makes it into the lineup steadily over the last four or five weeks, and he's been playing extremely well. I mean, just absolutely. Forces a fumble. Right? And I mean, and, and not not just like an incidental, like, hey, I got to the ball, and, and you know, he fumbled. Andre Cisco punched that ball out, and we've seen Darius Leonard. You know, how good he has become at punching that ball out, creating turnovers. There's a difference between getting a turnover and creating a turnover. And when you can add the creative turnovers to your total, I mean, that just changes the game. So huge play from him. I mean, he's really just kind of going out there and showing all of us what we thought he could be. We talked about him being a ball hawk, a turnover machine at, at Syracuse. And, you know, finally he gets to show that in action. Josh Allen stepped up, finally got to see, uh, you know, another good performance from him. It's kind of, you know, feels like it's been since Buffalo since we've really seen him kind of show up and we need him to become consistent. We know it's there. We've seen it before, but we need him to become consistent. And finally, Walker Little, I mean, putting up another great performance against a great front seven. We talked about it last week. That would be, I thought the Jaguars, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, that, that, that was going to be damning for them. Just the, the, the skill and the, um, you know, the front seven of the Colts, just what they can do to disrupt the ball game, usually put some teams on their backs. And uh, Walker Little held up very nicely. And again, another guy who is taking all the criticism that I've thrown his way and just kind of shoving it back in my face. So I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, and that final episode of the first end-season hard knocks, absolutely heartbreaking for the Colts. You saw Quiddy Pay on there kind of assuming in that episode that he was going to get to sack Trevor. Uh, Trevor was his first sack of the year back in the middle of the season, and he, he predicted that he'd be sacking quarterbacks in the playoffs. Just goes to show you, no matter how much more talented you are or that you think you are, than another team you're playing in this league. Anybody can punch you in the mouth, especially if your quarterback is Carson Wentz, who kind of folded under pressure against the Jaguars. I mean, this is a classic look-over game. I mean, and, and you know, a trap game, whatever you want to call it, teams look over teams. They look over the Jaguars. Everyone in, in the NFL, you know, the pundit, you know, term or the, the pundit claim is always, we don't overlook anybody. You prepare for everybody, but we know teams do it. And it was very apparent that's what happened on Sunday. I mean, everyone thought the, the Colts were just going to walk in there, dog walk the Jaguars, and, and you know get the easiest play-in game to the playoffs ever. And like you said, any given Sunday, man, these are still professionals. And they wanted it more than the Colts did. The Jaguars wanted it more than the Colts. I and mean, when you think about that and you look at it, what that means for this team, they wanted more to win the last game of the season to keep the Colts out of the playoffs, whatever it may be, whatever their motivation was, they wanted it more than the Colts did to make the playoffs, you know? And, and it just goes to show that, like you said, any given Sunday at any time, a team can step up. They can show you what they're made of. And I just hats off to this Jaguars team, man. I, I can't explain it enough. Um, just through all the turmoil and everything, what a great way to end the season and nothing better than sending a division rival packing and ending their season early. You could tell they were dejected. I saw the clips in the locker room. I didn't see the entire episode, but you know, you could just see 
the mood and the faces and, and they didn't think they were going to be there. Uh, it just, it, it totally puts the icing on the cake for us. Yeah. And let's not forget the Jaguars lost 50 to 10, two weeks ago. So let's not just take all the sunshine and rainbows into the off season. You do need to celebrate this victory and take what you can from it and try to build off of it. But let's not just sit here and say the Jaguars are ready to, uh, to be a contender. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, a lot of player acquisition. You got to find who is your GM. Is it going to be Trent Baalke long-term? Is, who's your head coach going to be? A lot of things have to go into this offseason. A lot of things have to go right for this to be a good offseason. But talked about Andre Sisco being a ball hawk. Tyson Campbell, like you said, he's playing very well in coverage. He stuffed Jonathan Taylor one-on-one in the open field behind the line of scrimmage, forced him out of bounds. That might be one of the most impressive plays he had all year. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That one and, and uh, again, the open field tackle on the fake, uh, the fake field goal. I know it was a punter. I'm not you know, putting that uh, outside of it. But the athleticism, the, the play recognition to get out to make those kinds of plays. I mean, he's showing that he's more than just a guy in coverage. And to be honest with you, you know, he's not, uh, he's not the biggest guy. I mean, he's slight when you look at him, his appearance, his size, you don't think he's going to be a banger, but he's long, he's lanky. Um, and we talked about, you know, his ability to, to, to tackle and to be that kind of long standing guy from the nickel, you know, early in the season, that's kind of where we thought he may fit in best. Um, and he's showing it right there. I mean, what a great tackle to, to stuff a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Like you said, it was one of the most impressive plays I think we've seen from him all season. It just goes to show that he can truly be a full, well-rounded cornerback. You know, a guy that can tackle, cover, and, and do everything that you need to do to, to help win a ball game. Yeah, and Walker Little on the other side of the ball, the second second-round pick for the Jaguars in 2021, finally getting into the starting lineup consistently over the final two weeks of the season against the Patriots and the Colts. Of course, the Colts were... Uh, not 100% as DeForest Buckner was limited in that contest, but Walker Little doing very well in the running game, gave up one pressure over the final two weeks of the season, which is just, it's exactly what you want to see from a guy who you know has the physical ability, but he needed to grow in his confidence. He needed to grow in his technique, and he's showing it over the final two weeks of the season. It's got to feel really good for him and for the entire organization. Uh, hit the direction he's headed into uh, after his first season, heading into his second season as a pro. Right, and, and I talked about it. You know, I don't know if it was last week or, or a couple weeks ago, but just the plugging and pulling of Walker Little back and forth from from the lineup out of the lineup. I didn't think that was great for his development because inconsistency can be tough. Um, and I think with the consistent player last two weeks, he's shown you why being able to get in a rhythm, uh, get your, uh, you know, your feel for the game, the speed, everything, and kind of keep it going. And, and, and I think it's shown you exactly what he can do. The Jaguars have a huge decision coming up at offensive tackle this offseason. A huge decision. If you sign Cam, um, you know, or, or tag him again, or whatever you decide to do, that's going to to take up a good chunk of the free cap you have. So when a guy like this can come out and show what he can do and be a game changer, really, on the offensive line, it, it leaves you with a lot of options. I mean, you, do you let Cam walk? Do you use that extra? cap as leverage uh, in the free agent market i think you do but you'll have to see either way walker little is is giving himself a chance to 
um, really make a name for himself in the NFL and in the, with the Jaguars here, at least in the short term. He's making the team think about uh, the immediate impact that he can make. And as a second round pick, that's exactly what you expect. And that's exactly what you want to see. So hopefully, maybe, um, you know, this is a lot of, of asking here, but maybe we're starting to see this draft class uh, is not as topsy-turvy as we thought before. It certainly doesn't appear to be that way. Uh, and it's funny, just, you know, before Andre Cisco and Walker Little really got into the lineup, you were looking at this draft class like, oh my goodness, what a disaster. But now you got Tyson Campbell, Andre Cisco, Walker Little all playing well. You've got Travis Etienne, who is feeling good, feeling healthy. He met with the media after the season. Um, he says he's going to be ready for training camp. Said that the doctors told him he could actually return in 2021, but it probably wasn't the best decision. Just, you know, kind of take your time, let it heal up, be ready to go for 2022. And so you've got that. And of course, you've got the crown jewel, Trevor Lawrence, who had his best game of the season, I think bar none. He was turnover free, played very clean, um, made some fantastic throws, also was able to pick up three first downs with his legs. I mean, this is the type of performance you were waiting for from Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you saw it a little bit early on in the season and in the middle of the season. And then it's been a rough stretch, you know, with receivers dropping balls, which they still did in this game. I think he had six drops, um, but he was able to overcome those drops and find his receivers. Marvin Jones had a huge day. Uh, Laquan Treadwell pitched in as well. Visca obviously was up and down as he has been all season, but he made some plays as well. So you got to feel really good for Trevor Lawrence to finally, and for it to happen in the final game of the season, where that is going to be what he's thinking about, what he's focusing on moving into his first full NFL offseason. That's huge. Yeah, so smart play with ETN, not not having him you know, play at all this season. I mean, we knew – you know, where we were at by like week eight, right? We knew what, where this team was going. There's no reason to bring a guy out there when, when it comes to a stress fracture, a stress injury, and even risk the possibility of any further complications. I mean, when you see how far medicine has come in the first place, I mean, that in and of itself is great. I mean, Maurice Jones drew had the same injury, a list Frank injury late in his career here in Jacksonville. They didn't necessarily attend to it right away. They didn't catch it right away. And when you play on these stress injuries, you know, the longer you go without uh, attending any treatment, uh, the, the higher risk that you run for prolonged arthritic issues, um, you know, and not fully healing that injury. So for ETN, they caught it early, they said, um, you know, there wasn't any serious damage done yet. Get it fixed, let him sit out, bring him back next year. He's still young, no reason to risk it. Trevor Lawrence, what he did on Sunday was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I think you said it best. You know, what he did was just exactly what you've wanted to see all season. He controlled the game with his arm, with his legs. I mean, he did no wrong, did not turn over the ball. Uh, I don't think he had any turnover worthy plays either, which some of you look at, you say, okay, yeah, this guy was, was, you know, good. He didn't turn the ball over. Maybe he had a drop pick here and there, nothing. I mean, all of his, all of his balls were on point. Um, you know, he was, he was putting balls in a place where only his receivers could make the catch. I mean, when you talk about, rolling out right after a bad snap and, and hitting Marvin Jones in the back of the end zone where only he could catch it. I mean, that was just poetry in motion. And when you look at his numbers, 
23 of 32, two touchdowns. I think it was 223 yards. You mentioned the drops. There were six drops. So let's go ahead and add those. Over half his incompletions were drops. Yeah, so so let's say we you know we don't have that issue. He finishes 29 for 32. Who knows how many more points we scored and how many more yards he had. I think Marvin had two huge drops in this game. I think Treadwell had another one deep down the field, if I'm remembering correctly. That was another big one. So you're adding on. Visca dropped a touchdown. Visca dropped a touchdown. I mean, so, you know, the more that you think about it, you just keep adding things here and there. The stat line could be way better. And, I mean, this is not against a cupcake defense. The Colts defense is very highly regarded. They've got some good guys in the secondary. We've talked at nauseum about their front seven. So, you know, he just shows you exactly what he can do. And, and think about who he's doing it with. You know, uh, we thought we had great guys out there in receiver. We all know now what we need. We need a much improved receiver room. But give Trevor Lawrence some weapons. And, I mean, this offense can thrive. He can thrive. He showed it on Sunday, and he'll continue to show it into the future. I agree with you 100%. And the Colts, they were without um, uh, Xavier Rhodes, who obviously didn't play well during his final years in Minnesota, but he came over to Indy and they ran more zone. And he's been playing really good for him, them for the last couple of years. Rocky Yassine also got injured in that game. So there was some stuff going on there that you could point to, uh, but still very good defense, like you said. And really they had no answers for Trevor the entire game. The Texans Hold fired. Dave- a little, oh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're going there. Did you see the Schefter bomb? Oh, I think you actually did. I think you retweeted it. The the leading coach emerging candidate, Gerard Mayo. Yes. Interesting. So I'll let you get back to that. But that just blew my mind there for a second. That's surprising. Yeah. So he's been a hot name rising up um, since he got into coaching. But yeah, Texans, they fired David Culley today. For me, I don't think there's a job out there that has less appeal. Culley handled... Uh, handled himself professionally when he was there, squeezed the most out of a bad roster, gets the axe after just one season. You've still got the Deshaun Watson headache looming large over that franchise. There's very little overall talent in the building. You're only in the middle of the pack in terms of the salary cap situation. You've got a leadership group who is obviously not willing to give guys a chance, even when they were not handed a a fair deck of cards there and David Culley. I, I, I think it's very unappealing. And you see by the reports that we've seen about who they're targeting, it's going to be a new England guy that all the, all the guys that are linked to that job. Now, like you mentioned, Gerard Mayo, some have said, Brian Flores, some have said uh, Josh McDaniels. It's all new England guys. That's what it's going to be. And I think, that's really the only people who would be interested in working with this group at this point. Well, you've got the New England poster boy, uh, Jack Easterby up there, so or down there, excuse me, in, in Houston. So no surprise there. And Casario. Yeah, Casario as well. I mean, they're, they're, they're all pulling from the Belichick fountain. And to be honest with you, I feel bad for David Culley. I, I truly do. I, I don't think it was fair to him um, to be thrust into this situation. And if I'm not mistaken, in his first chance to be a head coach, um, to go into the Texans – and and then have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, um, you know, not play for you, stay on the roster, not play for you, you know, having to deal with that for a whole season is tough. And then, like you said, I mean, what that team did with, with what they have and what they were expected to be. I mean, it's exactly the Jaguars, but opposite, right? You think, you think the Jaguars are going to be a little bit better and they came and bottomed out. Everyone thought this team was going to be 
the worst team in the NFL bar none. And they beat the Jaguars twice pretty handily. Um, and, and they've won a few other games. And, and Davis Mills, I mean, he, like you said, he, he got the best of everything that he could squeeze out every last drop of anything promising from that team and then got the boot. So there's got to be something, you know, going on down there in Houston. I, I don't know if this was a predetermined thing. Hey, maybe just bridge us for a year or if they've really got someone they think that that truly is going to put them to the next level. But I mean, that was a guy along with, with Brian Flores, there were, you know, getting mentions. Obviously, I don't think they were getting it even close to it, but they were getting mentions for coach of the year just based off of what they did. I mean, Flores came back from one and seven, nine and eight. He got canned. Coley took the worst team in, in NFL history and made them something. So I just, I feel bad for him. I, I don't think he got a fair shot. I don't either. It's, pretty ridiculous and uh now that he and brian flores have both been fired there's only one black head coach in the nfl mike tomlin is the last one standing obviously that's a huge issue uh in terms of just racial equality and the the ability for these guys to go get jobs that they deserve and you hope to see a guy like brian flores who is an excellent head coach in my opinion Go get another job. You hope to see, um, you know, guys like Byron, guys like Jim Caldwell that are very, very well qualified uh, for these jobs to go get a job. Yeah, and and a lot of those names on that list, you know, like you mentioned, these these are guys that have shown and proved their ability. Something is going on down in, in Miami. They haven't told us exactly what's going on down there. I'd like to hear, but you never will, right? Because Flores is not going to burn any bridges. He's not going to uh, potentially bar himself from from getting another head coaching job. But, you know, just talking about him specifically, just which is with what he's done, not only in the NFL, but as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, I don't understand how you pull the plug on that guy. So it's not a good look. Um, you know, our struggle at the top is what I keep hearing. Yeah. Between the GM and, and about the quarterback and, 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 but even then, I mean, the results, you know, outweigh whatever else is going on, right. Winning, winning cures all. And then apparently the situation is not. So, you know, it's going to open up that can of worms. You know, you don't want to sit here and say it has anything to do with race, but you know, the numbers and, and everything else, you know, sometimes paint a different picture. So, um, you know, it, it's not a good look when guys are successful like that there's no reason. And and if you have power struggles at the top or whatever it may be, there have got to be other ways. But I mean, this is the NFL. Um, you know, we've seen crazier and, and it just goes to show that anybody at any time for the most part, you know, could be on the way out. Yeah, absolutely. Wild. It really is. He'll bounce back. He'll bounce back. Flores. I think we'll get another job in this cycle. Um, I also think because he, it was obviously not, I don't think anybody saw that one coming. So the fact that he's now popped himself into the coaching search, I mean, I think most teams, if they were smart, would be going after this guy pretty quickly. He's already got some some interviews, I think, right? Yes. And of course, the Jaguars are not among the teams with an interview scheduled for Brian Flores. Gerard Mayo, who, like we said, is the leading candidate. You know, he was a linebacker for the Patriots for quite a while. Uh, made the Pro Bowl a few times, All-Pro in 2010. Uh, he is the inside linebackers coach for the Patriots this year. Uh, he's been there since 2019 in that role. He's been a really hot name. People really like his leadership. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if a guy who's only been coaching since 2019, hasn't even been a coordinator, is going to ascend all the way to the head coaching role 
and Houston. Kind of reminds you of Mike Vrabel. You know, another right. New England guy, same, you know, kind of situation. I think he was a defensive coordinator, though. So, you know, he he's kind of jumped up there. But I, I know we kind of did it out of order there. So, you know, when I said something about, you know, the Texans need to have something better and be sure of that if they're going to get rid of this guy for what he did. Maybe Gerard Mayo is that guy. You know, he's he's younger. Uh, you know, he probably has a much better relationship with the players. Um, and, and like I said, when you see the success that Mike Vrabel has had in Tennessee, you can't help but think that might be the way things are trending in the NFL. You've got a ton of younger coaches who are more connected to the game, more connected to the players right now. And with the way the players themselves have been changing over the last few years, that may be the best bet moving forward. Yeah, because the bottom line with having a head coach is about creating a culture. And I know it's so often overused talking about culture, but it's legitimate. Beyond the X's and O's, what is your culture of your organization? This is a guy that has to be able to communicate effectively, not only with players, but with coaches, with everyone that works in that building to create a culture that is the vision that he has. Right. And, and and when you have a younger guy who's able to connect a little bit better, maybe it's easier to lead and build that culture and kind of have that connection. So it's still, like I said, still feel bad for Coley. I mean, everything that he did, but if the Texans make the right hire, kind of like the Titans did a couple years ago, it could really, you know, turn their entire franchise around. And that's what everyone's looking for right now. Right. That's even what the Jags are looking for. Make the right hire. It's easier said than done, unless you're Jacksonville, I guess. Maybe we may be the only outlier there because everyone else seems to be making the right calls. But you've got to do something, especially when you have the circus that you have with 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 uh, Deshaun Watson and his whole situation and kind of just how that sets you back about 10 years in your franchise building. You finally got the guy and, and all of this kind of pops up. So you need someone strong. You need someone to be able to rally those troops and, and create that culture that you're talking about. Yeah, Absolutely. Now check out jenjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And of course, we'd like to thank Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. So let's get down to business. This is a Jaguars podcast after all. Let's talk about the Jaguars, where they're at right now with their coaching shirts, with their GM, all that fun stuff. Trent Baalke, as we mentioned, is still the Jaguars general manager. There's been some thought, some talk, that whoever the team hires as a head coach will get to have some say about who the GM is. And that would seem to fall in line with Shad Khan's um, public statements about having a coach-centric team last offseason. But still, that would be very odd circumstances there. I don't think you can rationally explain why Trent Baalke would be in on these interviews if his job was not safe. I mean, it's mind-boggling. If if his job is not safe, it is mind-boggling that he's in on these interviews. Couldn't agree more. Now, I already think it, it's back-ass words that we're trying to hire a coach first and then determine the fit with the GM and all that kind of nonsense. But I take a step back and I start to dissect things a little bit, and the NFL has changed, right? The days of having a GM who specifically picks the players, does the financials, and then a coach that's just made to coach those players, totally different. Schemes in the NFL – even 20 years ago, offensive schemes, defensive schemes were all remotely pretty similar, right? You kind of saw a lot of the same things. Uh, You know, the gun wasn't used nearly as heavy as it is now. 
now that we've seen the NFL kind of progress and continue to progress, and I think over the last five years, you've seen a ton of change. Um, coaches are are more looking to find players that fit their scheme specifically. And so, you know, obviously we've talked about before, you want to have guys that are able to bring out the best and the players that they do have, but there is a balance there, right? So, you know, if you've got a specific scheme, you need help with the GM financially and, and whatnot and scouting, you know, wise to get that set up, but you're getting a lot more of, of, of intermingling in those departments now. So maybe that is the new way to go. I'm not quite sure, but like you said, if the guy is not guaranteed to have a job here, why is he sitting in on the interviews? I mean, it's a question that we're not going to have the answer to, but it makes no sense. If I'm potentially looking at somebody to take your job from you in the future for poor performance, if that's the case, I would not have you sit on or sit in on your potential replacement interviews. Now I know that, 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 you know, that the head coach is not going to be the GM, but we know they come in a package, right? Most likely, most likely out of the out of the candidates for the head coaching job right now, the Jaguars are, are likely to hire somebody who's not going to work with Trent Balky. That's just how the numbers are. Now, if that doesn't happen, then we're in a whole you know different situation. But it just doesn't make any sense to have him there. It, it really doesn't. I don't know what they've got going on down there. But apparently, the clown army uh, you know had no effect on Shad Khan unless he has some other plan that he's not sure with us. We know that he's not super, you know, savvy on coming out and speaking to the media and, and you know, keying them in on the process. So the only saving grace at this point is that he has a better idea, another idea that we're not, you know, kind of privy to and, and that hopefully he's going to do this the right way. Yeah, and it certainly doesn't seem like that's happening right now. Aaron Wilson, Texans and NFL reporter, he says the Jaguars coaching search will go on for a week and a half to two weeks as the team will go through a second round of interviews uh, with these guys. So this isn't going to be one of those situations, it looks like, where we get some clarity anytime soon, which is, again, they had the advantage getting rid of Urban Meyer so early. It seems that they have squandered that advantage in terms of putting together a new uh, leadership group in terms of GM and coach, um, you know, at this point, because now all these jobs are available and it doesn't seem like the Jaguars have made any progress. But um, But I'm okay with that. And this is why. You don't want to – you want to make headway, right? You want to start that process, start interviewing people, start talking to people, get your list going. But you don't want to make any hasty decisions because what have we seen in the last week? I mean, Zimmer got fired. Um, Brian Flores got fired. Um, you know, who obviously David, David Coley, I don't think is going to be in the mix for any really – any head coaching jobs here. But those jobs weren't previously open. So, yes, it opens up other jobs that may be more attractive to other candidates, but it also gives you a larger candidate pool. Now, I'm not saying the Jaguars shouldn't have, like I said, established any relationships or, or got that list kind of narrowed down and working as they go. But now at this point, you do want to take it slow, right? You want to make sure you do all the necessary vetting, all the interviews that you need to do. Um, you don't want to start waiting until all the other targets are, are knocked out, but you do want to take this slow, take the time, make the right decision, because the biggest thing that you've lost in, in this situation is you've lost the right to to have your name in as a coaching staff for the senior bowl, right? Cause you had no coaching staff, so they're not going to give it to you. So we already missed out on that. So at this point, uh, you know, you need to start scouting these guys after the senior bowl. You've got some time before that. Take it slow since you've already done it this way anyway, and kind of screwed up your, your head start and make sure you do it right this time. Well, yeah. And if Trent Balky is involved, they're not doing it right. As we've discussed. Correct. Correct. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess do it as right as you possibly can at this point. We have no idea how that GM situation will play out. Again, it makes zero sense to have Balky in on interviews if he's not safe in his job. So I have no idea, like I said, how that's going to play out. But what we do know is the current Vegas odds for the Jaguars' next head coach. And those have shifted quite a bit. Um, we've got two guys that have kind of separated themselves from the field in terms of the lines here. Byron Leftwich has now emerged as the favorite to land the Jaguars' head coaching job. Everyone knows Byron from his time here in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, I think there's certainly mixed opinions and feelings on him while he was here, but I think there's little question that he was a, a good leader, a good dude, and um, a guy that is fairly fondly remembered, even though people wanted to get David Garrard in, in over him. And, and rightly so, David Garrard was a better quarterback. But um, looking at him as a coaching candidate, I think you have to remo remove the um, bias either way from how you felt about him as a quarterback for the Jaguars. You have to remove the nostalgia if you feel that. It has to be about his resume as a as a coach and what he can do as a potential head coach. Um, I've done a lot of work on Byron in the last week or so. I kind of want to go through a timeline here uh, just to, to frame this discussion about Byron Leftwich and his candidacy for the Jaguars head coaching job. So he wasn't even super interested in coaching. Bruce Arians convinced him after years of kind of goading him on to get into coaching with him. In 2017, he became the quarterback coach in Arizona with Bruce Arians. Arians retired after that season, but left which remained in Arizona. He was promoted to offensive coordinator during the 2018 season after Mike McCoy was fired, and he immediately imprinted on that offense by doing something McCoy was not doing, making sure his playmakers, Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson, got the ball a lot more. Fast forward, that regime changes. Bruce Arians takes the job in Tampa in 2019. He brought Byron with him to be the permanent and full-time offensive coordinator and play caller. In year one with Jameis Winston at quarterback, the Bucks employed that typical vertical passing offense you see from Bruce Arians. Byron uh, managed the offense. All the players on the offense did the play calling. The Bucks scored over 28 points per game that year. They finished third in total offense. In 2020, everyone knows Tom Brady came to town. He and Byron, uh, you know, it went just swimmingly. Byron was tasked with kind of meshing what Tom liked to do with what Bruce liked to do on offense, and the results were a Super Bowl. Now Leftwich and the Bucks are again rolling in 2020 and looking to win their second straight title. So from that, obviously from 2017 starting as a quarterback's coach to now being a head coaching candidate that's been getting interviews at a lot of different places, uh, he's he's had a meteoric rise really in the coaching ranks. Yeah, I mean, nothing against Leftwich at all. I think he's one of the top options for the Jaguars. So with that being said, I mean, you obviously have done a very deep uh, dissection on, on his coaching career up to this far, uh, up to this point. And I mean, you're correct. Everything he's done 
up until now, he's done it the right way. He's made the right moves. He's shown improvement in every stop and every position that he's taken on. Um, you know, teams have flourished under his leadership as well. And, uh, you know, just the numbers, everything you're seeing. I mean, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. What you can do is kind of look at things in a little bit of a deeper sense. And and you go and look back at, uh, you know, his time in, in Arizona. Like you mentioned, definitely improved that offense had the benefit of some great weapons, right? Uh, weapons that he's not necessarily going to have here in Jacksonville. So I think that's something to look at as well. Um, you talk about him going over to Tampa Bay. They had a great year his first year there in Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston did throw 30 interceptions, though. And that was definitely a dark mark um, on his time there. And the biggest thing that stands out to me... I have a hard time blaming Leftwich for that. Correct, correct. And, and that's part of what I was going to get at. What stands out for me is that in those instances with the struggles of the offense, because, okay, let, let's really look at it, what it was. Yes, the numbers were great at the time. We're looking back on that and we're like, wow, look at those numbers. But remember being there in the moment, right? There was a lot of, of blowback on how that offense was doing. Yes, great that you're throwing 30 touchdowns and, and we've got 5,000 yards passing, but you turn the ball over 30 times. And that doesn't put you in a position to win a lot of games. And they didn't. And so the first thing that came to mind, you know, was the offense. I believe they were still seven and nine that year. Okay, but. I know that's not playoffs, but you know, considering where that roster was, who was throwing the ball, I don't think you're throwing them under the bus for a seven and nine year there. Well, I mean, look, I see personally for me, it wasn't up until that point that Jameis had th- had looked that bad, but he looked really good and really bad. You know, he had some mixes in between, but he looked really good at times. He looked really bad all in that one season. It was tough to see. He was regularly throwing a lot of interceptions prior to that. He was. He needed a little better, but not 30. Not 30. He improved. Wasn't throwing 33 touchdowns. Correct. So he improved on the good things. We also, you know, know, increased the bad things. So it's a really weird situation, but I personally don't think Jameis is a bad quarterback. I think with good coaching and a good scheme, he's going to be fine. I think uh, New Orleans is a is a great place for him to be, and so when I look at that, there are some struggles there. There were some struggles there. You still had Jameis. You still had Mike Evans. I mean, you had some playmakers. You had some guys that could do some things. Obviously, they're in a much better spot right now. But the initial blowback of that was Bruce Arians coming out and saying, "Hey, listen, this is my offense. Right? It's very vertical. We throw the ball a lot. We put quarterbacks in these situations. They've got to make you know these decisions. Blah blah blah. blah. This is what's going on. But it was always Bruce Arians' offense. Now. Did Byron have a big say in that? Absolutely, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he's learning that every year of being there and and studying under Bruce Arians and studying now under Tom Brady. Did he marry the two together? Probably. Did he have a big say in that? He did. He absolutely did. I'm not denying that at all whatsoever. But now, you know, not having any head coaching experience, benefiting from working with Bruce Arians, who's one of the greatest offensive minds, I think, in NFL history, one of the best coaches out there right now, and Tom Brady, who's the undisputable GOAT of football as a whole, that puts, you know, that, that, that puts a lot of, of tools in your back pocket. I'm not saying that, you know, Byron is a bad coach for it. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it will raise a little bit of, I don't want to say doubt, but I can't really think of a better word for it right now, but a little bit of doubt, you know, can he come in, um, you know, and then take over the roles as a head coach? Can he still, you know, do that, you know, structure an offense when he has an offensive coordinator that may not see eye to eye with him. Obviously, you're putting that staff together, but that's something that you're going to have to work with. So all of those things, you know, kind of put a few red flags up for me. But I think he's a much better uh, candidate than some of the others that are on that list. Don't get me wrong. But I'm still thinking that we need a head coach, a former head coach that knows what they're doing and how it's done. Well, I think, yes. What I was going to say in response to saying that we don't know if Leftwich can do it as a head coach, that's the case with every single 
former coordinator or position coach that becomes a head coach. You don't know that they can do it until they do it. We're not in the building every day. We don't know what his plan will be. We don't know what his pitch to Shad Khan was. Uh, we don't know how he will handle, like you said, play calling duties and managing a whole team. I think everything we've seen from him so far suggests that he would handle it with class um, and that he would be able to connect with players, which I know that he has been able to do a great job of that everywhere he's been. Um, there was actually a really interesting little interview. I think it was on the um, – it's that podcast that uh, Brandon Marshall and a couple of the other guys do where they just get together yeah, with former I am NFL athlete. players. Yeah, I am athlete. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was on there recently talking about Byron Leftwich. Um, towards the end of the year in 2020, Byron asked all the offensive guys, "You guys have any incentives in your contracts? We need to get you. We need to get you your money." And I just love that. I, and I think that type of mindset, where it's not um, just all about the organization, where you care about your guys getting paid, getting what they deserve, I think. That's a little thing, but it's a thing that shows a lot about his character as a coach. Absolutely, and that's totally a BA thing. Bruce Arians is all about the players. He is known to do that with with um, contracts and, and incentives and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that Byron has picked up on that is great because that is a great way in the new age of the NFL with this new age of player that we're seeing, this new generation, to kind of get yourself off on the right foot and, and be a team guy and be a, a leader that the locker room rallies around. That's just really what it's come down to these days. And and we're seeing a lot more success with a younger generation of coaches. And I'm not saying they got to be fresh out of the playing field, but a younger generation of coaches, you know, they're having more success right now than they had in the past. And again, I want to reiterate, nothing that we have said is anything negative against Byron, anything more than red flags. My only thought process is you're right. You don't know what a coordinator can do in a head coaching position until they've done it and that's great and, and that's right and you find um, some guys that way and you can hit a home run that way but you can also land flat on your face that way I think it's a huge gamble going after a guy who has you know all the upside in the world but hasn't really shown it yet you know shown what they can do in that situation and being a head coach is so much different than being a coordinator in the NFL are the Jags and it's kind of a rhetorical question but I'll leave it open to you are the Jags in a spot where we think that they could make that kind of gamble, that they could make that kind of decision? Like, hey, let's go ahead and just see, you know, this might be it. This might be the home run rather than going after a more stable guy with head coaching experience when we're in this situation where this might be it. Like this, this, this really may be the bottom for the Jaguars. If you don't come back from this with Trevor Lawrence after the debacle that you just had with Urban Meyer, if you manage to piss this away, I mean, you are setting the franchise back again, resetting it completely uh, for the third or fourth time in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, it's taken us so long to get to this point. Can you really take that much of a risk with a guy right now as things stand? I do not disagree with you regarding the head coaches um, that have prior experience. I think we've talked about that quite a bit on here. What I will say as a counterpoint to that, everyone that is not a first-time head coach does have warts. Uh, I think Doug Peterson, he's a player's coach. He's an offensive mind. Um, he's won a Super Bowl. I think he's hungry still. He's that right age. But guess what? He had a poor relationship with Carson Wentz. Um, 
when all was said and done in Philly. That's a wart. That's that's a question that has to be answered. That's a question that Byron left, which doesn't have to answer. Um, Jim Caldwell, what's his question? Well, is his offense a modern offense? He hasn't been an offensive coordinator for over half a decade in the NFL. He, he hasn't been calling plays. Um, he's 66. He's had health issues. You look at everyone else. Brian Flores even. Love the guy. Poor relationship at the top in Miami. Poor relationship with the quarterback. Do you really want Brian Flores to be the coach that's making sure Trevor Lawrence is going to develop properly after what just happened in Miami? Maybe. Maybe not. You could certainly make the argument against it. Uh, When you look at all these guys, and we'll talk a lot about Bill O'Brien coming up here because he is second in uh, the Vegas odds for this head coaching job in Jacksonville. But when you look at all those guys, I guess my point is they all have risk associated with them as well. Yeah, you're 100% right. Absolutely correct. I mean, this is every every turn is going to pop up some sort of question. I mean, that's just where we are. So all you do is you kind of, you know, you bring those to light and then you kind of attack them. I mean, when you talk about Brian Flores, with him, you know, not having that, you know, relationship up top, whatever it may have been. Look, if he also was firing his coordinators, which is scary. This is true. A lot of rollover there with the staff. So uh, you do, I do look at that a little bit and, and I don't really have any explanation for that we haven't really heard anything about that so it's it's definitely tough but you know i think there may have been some schematical things that weren't being seen eye to eye which that can obviously lead you down a tough path and when you have you know coaching staff turnover that that consistently it's really hard to gain any sort of consistency um but i think what a lot of that boiled down to at least from what we're starting to gather is that you know it's the Tua. It's the Tua conversation. And, and have we seen enough yes. from Tua? And, and has he shown that he can be a NFL quarterback? But I think the biggest thing is when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson out there available to play, um, that argument can be made, whether it's right or wrong. And if that's truly what the argument was, there are maybe only five quarterbacks in the NFL right now that if you sat down and said, hey, would you keep this guy over potentially getting Deshaun Watson? I, I would say pending no. legal action. Exactly. Pending that. legal action. So it depends on where you're at with the moralities of it. I mean, this is the NFL. We've seen less than moral decisions be made in the past. And I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. But if you look at the football side of it strictly, and if that's what the argument was, I mean, you kind of you've got a little bit of something there, but the coaching staff and the issues at the turnovers, yeah, that that's definitely concerning. And so like you're saying, and we're just kind of, you know, reiterating the fact that yes, everyone's gonna have some sort of red flag. It's, you know, which red flag are you more likely or, or more willing to ignore and kind of move past and, and see to it that this team can, you can, you can take this team to the place that they need to be. Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa are absolutely two different, astronomically different level of quarterbacks, in my opinion. So I think you would have a question. So I think you hopefully wouldn't have that issue there. Um, but, you know, all the other things, like you mentioned, it, it definitely raises uh, some suspicion and, like you said, at some point, you're going to have to get past some of this stuff with whoever you choose. Right. And at that person, again, we won't be in on these interviews. We won't get to feel their passion, feel their vision. So we won't know how it goes um, in terms of all that. But again, with with a young coach, a coach who has not been a head coach before, he has to sell his vision. He has to be able to communicate his vision and he has to be able to connect with everyone in that organization. 
I'm not sure, and we won't know the answer. Like I said, unless he gets the job and explains it to us in press conferences, we won't know what Byron Leftwich vision is for this team. We can infer what it probably would be based on who he has presented himself to be as offensive coordinator in Tampa and what he's taken away from Bruce Arians. I do like the idea of a vertical passing offense. Um, obviously you don't have the pieces here outside of Trevor Lawrence to get that done right now, but I think that is a type of offense that could really accentuate what he does well. I think that's what Byron Leftwich would bring. Um, I think that he would bring, like we said, that players coach kind of mentality. And for me, I'm at the point where if there is a first time head coach that's going to get this job, I do think I want it to be Byron Leftwich. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You know, I told earlier, I, I don't really see any other sort of um, coordinator. I mean, the only other guy that I could potentially kind of, you know, get myself excited for would be Nathaniel Hackett, um, just because of what he did here in Jacksonville with the personnel at the at the time. The boat, right? I mean, and if you look back on it now, look at the guys that that were playing offense for the Jaguars back then. I mean, besides Leonard Fournette, I mean, don't get me wrong, he had a fantastic year that year, but. He made Blake Bortles look like a competent NFL quarterback, at least to a slight regard that we actually gave him more money to keep him around. So anybody who can convince an organization that Blake Bortles is an NFL quarterback deserves a vote in my mind, regardless of the situation. I mean, that's just truthfully what it is. (laughs) And I do think he has a good personality. I think he'd be able to get along with everyone. Um, I think he's a player's coach. He's not high on my list, but – and he's worked I with Rodgers. Like Rodgers and LaFleur and, and that offense that they've put together the last couple of years. I mean, very, very intriguing. Yeah, I like him. I I certainly think Byron as a you know recent NFL quarterback, a guy who was a first round pick, should be able to really identify with Trevor. And I like that a lot. Um, I like Byron's potential to identify and connect with the other young stars on the team. If he does get the job, another interesting thing you have to think about is what type of staffs these guys are going to put together. Could he steal a Harold Goodwin from Tampa, who is currently their assistant head coach and running backs coach or running game coordinator, and make him assistant head coach and offensive coordinator? Because that's another guy that has a lot of experience with the Bruce Arians organization and the NFL as a whole that could help be another stabilizing force uh, that could help Byron Leftwich out you know early on as a head coach yeah absolutely and i think if you see some of these guys come in as a first-time head coach that have a lean one way or the other on you know their their side of the ball whether it be offense or defense in byron's case it's obviously offense you're going to see them bring a guy with them who's going to be able to help them keep that specific offensive scheme that they're bringing to the team flowing properly and you know a seamless transition and and that's kind of what i think Byron is for BA right now as well. He's learned under BA for so many years that he's kind of adopted that system and BA trusts him with that system and knows that he can make the corrected changes. If you get a guy like uh, um, Caldwell, um, who's, who's going to be a more CEO type coach, you're going to probably see a bigger coordinator hire, someone who's going to actually take on that role uh, on their own. So, it's definitely uh, up in the air. When you see a guy like Byron come in or a guy like Peterson come in, you want them, at least in my opinion, to kind of run that offense as much as they can. Get a guy who's going to adopt your system and keep things status quo because then you're going to keep the coaching staff tight. You know, you're going to keep everything kind of inside and you're not really going to have any breakdowns there as well. 
Yeah, and I just think those are Goodwin would be great because he's he's a nice he's a leader as well. He's a guy that's worked with Byron. I think that would be a really good uh, rock for Byron to be able to lean on. There's he's a younger also guy some, too. Yeah, there. Uh, I'm not sure how old Harold Goodwin is. He's not old. I think he was born in the 70s. Mm. Um, well, and some people might consider that old. <laughs> not old for a football coach. Don't tell my parents that, man. <laughs> right. Um, there's also some rumors and some talk that Byron would want to bring over Adrian Wilson from Arizona as a GM. He's been their director of player personnel or pro personnel. Now he's the EVP of pro personnel. Started out as an area scout. Of course, a lot of people should remember him from his playing days. That was one of the most violent, hard-hitting safeties you will ever see. And uh, just for that fact alone, I'd be interested in him being here. Yeah, I mean, I you you definitely see that. You know, you want the hype, you want the explosion, you want the the I don't know, a defensive coordinator, defensive coach kind of brings a certain nastiness right like a certain identity look at the titans and look at Vrabel, man they embody his identity and i think that's great and for that team it fits right they're a physical pound the ball team they're gonna get the ball to derrick henry they're gonna beat the crap out of you in the trenches the jaguars i don't think are that team you know you got a quarterback with a little bit more finesse a little bit more touch a little bit more offensive uh prowess in my opinion so while i like those types of guys and, and i would definitely not be completely down on on a guy like that i still think it needs to be primarily offensive focused well and this is just a general manager that we're talking about here so right um and and he hasn't done the draft side of it as much he was an area scout like i mentioned before but he's been mostly on the pro personnel side certainly hasn't done a bad job there in terms of bringing over deandre hopkins bringing over jj watt some of those guys that's been impressive um so, yeah, that's pretty much my book on Byron here, how I feel about his head coach candidacy. I think there is risk in the unknown of not knowing what this guy can be like as a head coach because you haven't seen it. But if there is a a rookie head coach or a first-time head coach that I would stump for, it's Byron. Yeah, I mean, uh, the options are open for the Jaguars. How fast can you make the decision? How fast can you get things right? I know I said take it slow, and I, I do mean that, but you're still on the clock here, right? Make sure you get it right and get a guy that, that is ready to come in immediately and, and turn this thing around because I don't think you can wait, right? You Whoever you hire needs to, to start this process immediately. Get down to Jacksonville. Get to know these guys. You know, I know the season only ended for them technically what, six days ago, five days ago? Doesn't matter. We're on to the next one. Put that behind us, and let's start building for next season. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, you know, moving on, Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, former Houston Texans head coach and de facto GM. We're going to talk about him. First, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Twitter you can follow Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Bill O'Brien, like I mentioned, number two on the list according to these Vegas odds. There's been a lot of chatter about Trent Balky wanting to bring him in. Um, we'll kind of go through the same thing we went through here with, for Bill O'Brien uh, that we did with Byron there. Uh, had some success in Houston, made the playoffs four times. I mean, really, a lot of success considering some of the quarterback situations that he had early on there, um, but losing record against teams not named the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
<laughs> so obviously he was able to really take advantage of the Jaguars and the AFC South when he was here at Houston. Um, he was a college coach from 93 to 06. He was a, actually a defensive uh, linebacker, defensive back in college at Brown University. Um, he was the Duke offensive coordinator and quarterback coach in 2006 before he joined the Patriots staff in 07, which was his first NFL gig. He eventually became the OC in New England in 2011, parlayed that into the Penn State head coaching job where he was for two years, and then he used that platform to get to Houston where he was their head coach. Uh, for the Texans from 2014 to 2020. Again, four playoff appearances, two playoff wins. Uh, He really seemed to be doing a very good job in Houston for a while. Started to butt heads with GM Rick Smith. uh, And Rick Smith was a guy that was responsible for adding a bunch of that talent that you've seen over in Houston over the years in the draft with DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, He was the one that really went after and wanted Deshaun Watson. But Rick Smith lost that battle with Bill O'Brien, that power struggle in the the organization there. And then Bill O'Brien became the de facto GM. Started making some crazy moves. Traded away DeAndre Hopkins in what was one of the most lopsided and strange trades we've probably seen in recent history in the NFL. Couldn't get along with J.J. Watt and let him go. In all honesty, he ran the organization into the ground and his issues with personnel and relationships, along with everything that we've talked about that's going on with Deshaun Watson, that has led the Texans to where they are right now. Oh, man. If you could hear an eye roll, Duval, if you could hear an eye roll, just know that I am screaming at the top of my lungs right now. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, certain coaches you know, are subject to unfortunate circumstances. We've talked about a few of them earlier in this podcast, but this is not one of those cases. Now, Bill O'Brien, the coach, right? Bill O'Brien, the coach has an extremely impressive track record all the way through, even to Houston, took a bottomed out franchise, brought them back up to the top, won the AFC South two years in a row, playoffs four out of six years, if I'm I'm not mistaken there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, I mean, benefit of having two free wins against the Jaguars every year, um, but that doesn't account for the other, you know, 11 uh, that he had to secure, um, you know, to go 11 and five one year. I think they had a 12 and four season. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I know they made the playoffs and then they were consistently winning the AFC South. They were putting themselves in a position to be um, kind of, you know, a top tier team, a, a dangerous team for, uh, you know, the, the forecoming future. And then the personnel decisions started to happen and everything else kind of, you know, spun out of control. They had a down year where uh, Watson tore his ACL. And, and I think, you know, we're never going to know exactly what happened. I'm sure that the you know sudden losing after all the winning probably didn't sit right with a lot of people. I'm sure it was tough to take, but like you mentioned, towards the end of his time there, he had consistent uh, uh, relationship issues with the GM, um, with key players of the franchise, um, with the brass up front, made some questionable decisions after he won said power struggle. And since then, I mean, he's kind of disappeared into irrelevancy. Yes, he's at Alabama as an offensive coordinator. But up until this point, I mean, did anybody really think he'd ever get a head coaching job in the NFL again? I didn't think I did. Um, And so to see his name resurface, it kind of, you know, throws some crazy thoughts out there. And I think this is directly uh, in relation to Trent Baalke. And I'm not convinced that this isn't strictly only a name that Trent Baalke leaked. Now, 
I'm sure obviously the Jaguars are going to, to interview him. And, and if I really wanted to be crazy here, I could say that's part of a bigger conspiracy theory that Trent Baalke is leaking information to the media um, that kind of benefits him. And I think we've known him do that anyway. And at this point, the Jaguars have to kind of go ahead and kind of just go with it. Um, so they're not creating any negative news, any sort of negative drama around the team and, and put Bill O'Brien on the list. I have no problem with them um, interviewing anybody and everybody because you want to cast a wide net. I get that. But I just don't see how you could you know, rightfully hire Bill O'Brien, look at the players that you have, look at the, the past history of this Jaguars franchise in and of itself and think this is the right choice. I mean, you look back a couple of years ago, the Jaguars had their own you know, little power struggle at the top, their little riff with key players. And that led to the dismissal and, and trading and, and releasing of unique and Gawkway and Jalen Ramsey and Fournette's gone. And you got rid of Boye. You let uh, Calais go over to Baltimore. I mean, for him, luckily enough, they're going to have a chance to win, but still it's part of that whole kind of wind down of the team that was in 2017. So a similar situation, in my opinion, um, obviously to a less of a degree, I think for Houston, at least uh, they got rid of, of DeAndre Hopkins in one of the most mind boggling trades in NFL history. And I don't think if, if that doesn't disqualify you from future consideration, I don't know what else can. Yeah. And again, that's the personnel side, which according to Ian Rappaport, O'Brien has zero interest in getting back into personnel, but of course, we just talked about how, how much just, that's married right now, right? You know, so so yeah. Can you I, can you come in and just be a coach only and just say, hey, just give me whatever guys you're going to give me, and I'm just going to see what sticks, see what works. Of course, no, not. That's, that's not no. how. It works. So, oh god. So he did have a a good run there, one season at Alabama, um, coaching that Crimson Tide offense. I really liked their offense, but let's be honest. They had uber-talented receivers, NFL tight ends, Evan Neal, Bryce Young. Um, You're not going to have that level of talent um, or the talent disparity between what what Alabama had versus who they were playing pretty much on a weekly basis. When they had Jamison Williams, they even made Georgia's defense, which is one of the most talented and well-run defenses that you'll ever see in college football. They made that defense look like trash and that just goes to show you how much talent there is but i do think bill o'brien did a lot of good stuff there a lot of a lot of modern um nfl uh stuff uh that that he was running i I loved all the bunch formations that really stressed those opposing defensive backs that was one of the biggest ways he was able to kind of get those receivers in space and just create a lot of a lot of getting the ball out quickly and letting your playmakers kind of just make plays with the ball in their hand. Um, still, he does he does not seem to be a quality leader or coworker. You've heard countless stories about that, and we've seen it firsthand. I just don't want that volatility uh, and that personality around Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the young guys on this roster, as you already said. I don't want him anywhere near Trevor Lawrence. And you combined his temper, which you were able to see on national TV in the press box in that championship game, combine him with Trent Baalke. I think you're it's just a powder keg waiting to explode. Right. You know, you, you wouldn't put 
uh, a bunch of of cans of propane near an open flame, right? You you wouldn't you wouldn't even subject yourself to that potential catastrophe. And and what the Jaguars need is stability, and that's all we've been preaching. You know, that's that's all anyone's been saying. We need, hey, look, dude, we just need some stability. We've got a potential superstar quarterback. We need somebody to kind of come in, help ring all that together. Maybe get a little bit uh, better personnel. We know we need better personnel, but this is not what we're asking for. This is not, this is like doing the exact opposite, you know, of, of, you know, looking at a, Hey, uh, you know, maybe we should put that flame out. Nah, let's throw some gasoline on it. Right. You don't want them anywhere near Trevor Lawrence. You don't want the volatility anywhere near the locker room. We've seen his anger in the press box, you know, in media interviews, just, it's boggling, man. It's mind boggling. And you talk about yes, the success that he had at Alabama over this past you know year that that's great. You know you had some success, but like you said, if it weren't for him already having previous NFL experience, I would look back at what just happened to the Jaguars this year and point that as a direct reason why we cannot hire Bill O'Brien because you go from having the top athletes in the world dog walking just about everyone, being able to do exactly what you want to do at any time you want to do it. Then you come to the NFL where you think you've got the cream of the crop, and you do. You've got the top 1% of the talent in the world, but even then, in that bottleneck, right, there's still a bottom. And the Jaguars are at the bottom. You're not going to be able to do what you did with these guys at Alabama. So it just seems like everything points to no, right? Everything points away from Bill O'Brien, but you know, with the Jaguars and, and who they are and how they've been, that probably means that they're going to go right after him. So who freaking knows at this point? Yeah, they're going to zag when everyone else is zigging. Um, so safe to say neither of us is on the Bill O'Brien train. I don't think anybody is at this point for me. Would you say no to Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator? Yeah, I would. Okay. I was just curious. I I don't want him around Trevor Lawrence. Fair enough. I just don't, I I think he's an asshole. Yeah, I agree. I was just curious. You know, if if it's not head coaching roles or any, is there any place for him in the NFL? and, And I don't think that you have to be a choir boy or just like a super nice players coach to be an effective coach. But I just, I've seen too much from Bill O'Brien being a problem. Well, I also can't Houston. foresee him just walking into that locker room, right. And, and, and getting player respect. Exactly. And that's, I think one of the biggest things. Yeah. I'm with you there. So out of the top two candidates, from the Vegas odds, I definitely lean towards Byron Leftwich. If we're looking at this holistically and all the candidates, for me, Byron Leftwich is in the top three. I think I'd still le- lean towards Peterson or Caldwell. But if any three of Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell, or Byron Leftwich is named the Jaguars head coach, that will be, in my opinion, a good step towards potentially creating a stable and winning organization. Absolutely. And then if it comes down to those two, obviously we, we both have, we both have our mindset on what we think is, is the correct decision. There's one thing that I implore people though, to, to today take into note here. Yes. It's, it's great to see that, you know, Byron's now the leader and Bill O'Brien's falling back. And, but really Vegas is just following the money on this one. And I think a lot of the money is going left, which is way right now, just based on the amount of support, you know, that, that quote unquote groundswell of support um, that Jake Glazer reported a couple weeks ago, just his kind of uh, presence on social media. I mean, all that's leading people to put money towards Byron at the odds, you know, a, a much better chance to make some money there. So I think that's kind of where this, this random, you know, press this charge on it is coming from him. 
So I'd alert people not to get their hopes up too much. But a person that I think is kind of starting to fall back on that as well is is, is uh, Jim Caldwell. I mean, outside of the first couple of weeks, we've kind of seen his name kind of slowly fade back into the darkness again, uh, locally and, and also nationally. You don't have a lot of people coming out and clamoring for him uh, like we had in the past. So I just think that's his age. I really do. I think so as well. I mean, I, I think it's it, it was worth a look. It was worth a you know a talk. I mean, this guy is still. You know, it, there's nothing negative to say about him with what he did in Detroit, with with the way he's able to lead a locker room. But again, you said 65, previous health issues. You know, maybe it's not the greatest fit anymore. Now, does that mean he can't have a, a role in the organization? Absolutely not. Vice president of football operations, player personnel. I mean, there's got to be something for him to do, and I think he'd be a great addition. Just don't think you're going to see him uh, make the jump to being a potential head coach at this time. Yeah, and I don't know if player personnel is a something he's interested in. I do think in terms of being someone that can help with the leadership of an organization, absolutely. Jim Caldwell will help out any organization in that regard. Before we close out today, a couple Bama players declared for the NFL draft. Evan Neal is in. Uh, he's OT1 for both of us, I believe. I, he's a top player on my board as of today. And he's a guy that, Again, the Jaguars have the number one overall pick. They'll have to look long and hard at Evan Neal, who dominated throughout the 2021 season. He played really well again in the national championship, kind of getting the best of Trevon Walker, who's going to be a first-round pick in all likelihood. Um, you had Kayvon Thibodeau, who's – some people think he's the top edge rusher, second-best edge rusher. Some people say he's the top player in the class. Um Kayvon Thibodeau was over on one of these pregame shows for the national championship talking about how <laughs> Evan Neal, he was kind of taking him to school during some of those uh, some of those national camps that all the big recruits go to. Of course, somebody on the internet out there watching put together a little highlight comp- compilation of Evan Neal one-on-one with Kayvon Thibodeau at those camps. And let's just say Kayvon Thibodeau, was kind of talking out of his ass on that uh, television program there. Yeah, not a good look. I mean, the internet forgets nothing. And at this point in this age, with these kids coming out now, I mean, for both of us, we're older now at this point than any of these rookies coming to the league, which a couple of years ago when that first happened, my mind was absolutely just blown. I was like, oh, crap, here we go. Is this what it means to be old? But you've got to know at this point in this age, the digital age, the internet age, Nothing is ever gone. Everything is always there. I know it's a cliche that you hear from your parents and from everyone else who tells you this, but if you're going to make some some high ass claims like that, you've got to be able to back them up. And and like you said, you know the videos have, have come out, and it's the exact opposite. Evan Neal's my OT one. He's my number one overall as well. And with everything that's going on, you know, with with, with now Jameson Williams going down, it kind of unfortunately shrinks. I think the Jaguars' ability to potentially move the pick at one, it definitely changes you know, the uh, volatility of that pick. I think the Jaguars may end up thinking it best to just go ahead and take Evan Neal. Um, and when you look at these pass rushers, I mean, I, I, I've kind of gone back and forth the last few weeks in regards to Hutchison or Thibodeau. I think I've finally, dis- you know, finally decided on, on what it's going to be. Um, I don't think the Jaguars can go out there this year and draft the guy – based on the ceiling, right? 
I think at where the franchise is, you can't take risks like that. You got to go look at the numbers, right? What have you done for me? What have you put on tape? And looking at Aiden and Hutchinson's tape this year and the numbers that he's put up in relation to Kayvon Thibodeau, they don't stack up. I mean, you can't argue against it. He's put up double-digit sacks. They've had one of the best uh, defenses in uh, the college football realm. Obviously, yeah, they, they got a little wax there by Georgia, but those teams were, were obviously by far the best two teams in college football. I wouldn't put that... Uh, you know, as a negative mark on his record, but it's really starting to shape out as an interesting top three, top five here. When you have players go down in bowl games, tear ACLs right before the NFL draft. I'm kind of curious to see what Jamison Williams does now. Does he go ahead and declare or does he maybe stick around for one more season? He declared today. Did he? Uh, I did not yes. see that yet. I've obviously been working here today. So uh, yes, I didn't he see declared today. Well, and then, then I take back everything I just said. He's going to declare. Um, and that's obviously going to shake some things up. Yeah, it is. And it'll. we'll see if he falls. I, I had him as a top 10 pick. I'd be shocked. My bulky sense is he falls out of the first round. If he falls out of the first round, you have to take him. But I don't think there's any way that'll happen. Ah, with an ACL, though? It's a bulky special. It's a bulky special, but <laughs> that's for sure. That that's tough. Well, if I mean, can get his hands on him. He will. So you're looking at no you're looking at nine to twelve months. They'll, the they'll get him and and John Mechie as well. If you could scoop both of those guys up <laughs> in the third round, it's a sweep. It's a clean sweep home run. I, I don't think either of them will be there in the third round. I think you got to go second or third. Mechie has a chance with the ACL. Might get to the reach, but but if, okay, I think for Jameson Williams. He started to kind of separate himself after Mechie went down as an number one overall receiver. He's got more speed than Mechie, but I think both those guys were really neck and neck until the injury. Oh, no, thank you. You don't think so? No, thank you. No way. I disagree. I think- Jamison Williams, I think, has a much better catch radius, much bigger catch radius. I think he has better hands. I think he's a better route runner. Um, he's bigger in terms of he's 6'1", 6'2", um, and he, like I said, he has the ups, the catch radius, I think he's just a more complete player, whereas I like John Mechie a lot. I don't think he has as natural of hands, and I don't think that he's going to be able to win the contested catches the same way Jamison Williams is. And I think Williams, in bottom line, has just got a little bit of that extra gear over Mechie, who is also extremely fast. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, totally. What else else kind of getting at is, is Williams, Mechie, Wilson, Olave, um... Jahan Dotson, Drake London, uh, I, those two, Traylon Burks, those three, I'd probably put a little gap between, but those four guys right there, I think we're, we're all really, really close now with the Mechie. It's funny. I think all three of those guys I just said could be ranked higher for some teams on their boards, especially Drake London and Traylon Burks. I think Drake London is about to be Mike Evans 2.0. And I think Traylon Burks is going to run in the four threes and his size and with his physical ability, it's just those two guys I think are going to be awesome. And that's fine. And things may change, right? There's obviously going to be a lot of changes still heading up till draft time. There's a ton of time, but I'm just talking about the nucleus of what it was for the last couple of months up until now, all these receivers were kind of in the same boat, right? A lot of these guys are, are, are game changing receivers. At least we think they are in that group of four right there. I think we're really at the time kind of clear cut ahead. Now the combine and everything else pro days are obviously going to see guys jump, see guys fall. I get that. But what I was getting at is with the injury of Mechie, obviously you saw him fall back a little bit, right? Like he's going to the second round. He may be there a little bit later. Guys, we can scoop him up, focus on some of the other guys, right? So it brought up a Drake London or a Jamar Dotson to, to maybe kind of fill in that void. But now you see Jamison Williams go down as well with the same injury and ACL, except for 
it's in the very last game of the college yeah. season. It's in January. So, January already. Right. So it's not at 12 months. And, and really, if you're looking at a guy, uh, medicine's changed. We said that a million times. But you're looking at guys who have come back on both ends, right? Nine months from right now puts you in late September, early October at best. And that's like the high end, right? Well, I mean, nine months from today is probably going to be right about week one. Right. So what's today? January. Yeah. So, well. 13th. That would put us. That put us in that nine months from now would put us closer to October. So, but you're getting there, right? It's, it's semantics with the September start. What, what's more important there is, is that three month window. I mean, literally goes like I said from from the start of the season, from potentially week one, week two, week three, to the end of the season. Right? It could be a full year, and we could be right now. We're heading to playoffs. So, I think that question mark is going to set up a lot of red flags for teams who don't who don't have the ability to draft for the future like the Jaguars I don't think now at this point can go ahead and take Jameson Williams with a top two you know uh, either first round pick or a second round pick because you're going to need guys that contribute right now unless you hit a home run in free agency and bring home some studs in the wide receiver room that that we can go ahead and draft this guy and put him on the bench and have a a core of wide receivers next year that's just absolutely bar none how about that Byron left with Chris Godwin connection? Look, maybe, and, and that all might happen. There's so much that's going to happen between now and then, but as it stands right now, I think it puts the Jaguars specifically and other teams in a tough spot to take that guy with, with the uncertainty of what's going to come. If he falls to the second round, you best believe I'd be scooping him up ASAP. I mean, yeah, I, I look, I, again, if it wasn't the Jaguars, anybody else I'm looking at, absolutely, right? He's a guy who who athletically and, and, you know, just everything, all his measurables, everything is one of the top guys in this draft. You give him time to recover. They say he's going to make a full recovery. You see a lot of guys make full recoveries on ACLs nowadays, but you also had uh, two years ago, you rushed back Saquon Barkley, right? We all thought, wow, what a marvel he's going to be coming back. He hasn't really been the same since. And I remember that picture of his quads side by side in his first game. You just saw the, the, the muscles and how they atrophied during the time that he wasn't able to use them. There's so much more in that rehab process that if you rush a guy back, you may be jeopardizing his future. I'm not saying rush him back. I'm just saying bring him to me. But can the Jaguars I'll take him. Can they take that that risk of, of drafting a guy now for next year when we know that this upcoming year is, is likely going to be the make it or break it? Like you've got to win five, six, How seven games next year. Yeah, and I don't I don't think taking a receiver in the second round that is gonna potentially be a franchise changer, you know, because you're missing a couple months of him, I don't think that but it's, I don't think you pass on him. But it, but but we both agree that this next year has to be it, right? You've got to see it this next year. What is it? It like, has to be it. It seven eight wins like a, a a full. You've got to really see some improvement with with Trevor Lawrence with with. What, well, that that depends on how the off season plays out. Right. So there's going to be a lot that comes up. Like I said, free agency hitting a home run there. But yes, you want Other Trevor things. to finally look. You want him to be more consistent next year. You want him to play. 10 plus games, you know, the way he played the Colts on Sunday against the Colts. Right. And so because of that, because of everything the Jaguars need and everywhere we need this franchise to go, I personally don't think you can take this guy within the first two rounds, not knowing whether or not you're going to have him at all next year. That's just me. Yeah, I get that. I'd risk it though, just because I think he's too good to pass up on in the second round. Yeah. Again, anybody but the Jaguars and maybe like the Jets and the Lions maybe, but... Yeah, I feel you. I'm going to be more aggressive. The ACLs are just, I I know they're not a guarantee you come back the same guy, but at this point in time, it looks like 
he should be able to have a successful surgery, get back sometime during the season next year. And I get you want somebody that's going to make an instant impact, but I just couldn't pass up on him. I don't think, you know, depending on who else is there, obviously right. at, at the top of the second round, but that's how I stand on that one. Last question um, then. Do, do you go, yeah. do you go, okay. So let's say, right. You said depends on who's there. All right. Let's say Jamison Williams is there, but so is your Dotson and, and, and Drake London. What do you do? At that I would point? take, take well, a healthy guess, guy or do you, or do you take Jamison Williams because he fell to the second well, round? Drake London missed the end of the season as well. I do believe he'll be healthy though, probably for the combine, if not, probably a pro day before the draft. If you're talking about Jamison Williams versus Drake London at 33, Drake London's fully healthy. Jamison Williams is not healthy. Now that is a conversation I could have, and I would probably lean London yeah, because I think for me, London is extremely close to Williams anyways. And I think that his catch radius, his hands, his contested catch ability and um, Drake London at six foot five. I love his game. Oh, I think yeah. he's just going to be such a stud. He's going to be such an easy guy to just, oh, you need a completion? You know who to throw to. Right. He, I mean, he's 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 Mike Williams, Mike Evans, Larry Fitzgerald type-esque, right? Not a speedster, um, a technical guy with, with a huge catch radius and, and great hands. We need some speed. Quicker though. and faster than you'd think. He is, but we need speed. Not a burner. We need I, speed, don't you think, a little bit? I do think like they Dotson's need speed. speed yeah. I think they need guys that can catch the ball. Yeah, this is true. And Dotson is absolutely a guy. I'm I'm right there. I just don't I don't I see Dotson as more of like a in an ideal world, like a perfect number two, whereas I think Drake London could potentially be an elite number one. Right. Fair enough. That's just how I see it. I mean, Dotson is a smaller cat. I do think he has great hands. Really, really good um, just route pacing. It will set you up, not moving super fast, and then explode out of a break. I love love Dotson in that regard. But uh, I I just think Drake London is on a different plane. I mean, this just shows you, you know, right here in, in experience, how much these front office guys, how much these scouts, how much everyone goes through between now and the draft, and even actually, obviously, in the season, you're scouting, you're getting all that. We're doing this just without really any sort of, what I would say, you know, deep in, uh, you know, evaluation and studying. I know you do a lot more studying than I do when it comes to looking at film with these uh, prospects and you, and you do some of that prospect work um, as well. So I know you're way more into it than I am, but I still say that, that we're just, you know, scratching the surface when it comes to looking at these guys, watching the play, looking at the numbers and kind of making our observations. Think about how much the front office guys go through, how much back and forth there is between now in the draft, just going over these things like we are when it comes down to injuries, numbers, per, you know, performance, all that kind of stuff at such a, a much more microscopic level. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, Hey, don't get me wrong. I haven't gone at, over all of these guys with a fine tooth comb, but Dotson, London, Williams, these guys I've studied, uh, I, I would feel comfortable, you know, comparing my notes to anyone's on them. And uh, I guess that's just to say, I, I do feel confident in my evaluation of them specifically. I, I feel about 40 players. I feel very confident in my evaluation so far. And you can check all that stuff out. Thank you for the segue at the draftjournal.com, which is uh, just my new uh, draft publication where I'm just literally, it's my draft journal. I just go in scouting reports, 
columns. Have a good time with it. Thedraftjournal.com. And uh, that'll do it for me. Uh, you know, we're not in on Bill. We both feel pretty comfortable with Byron, but we do have a little bit of that question about, you know, the first time head coach. But if it's going to be a first time head coach, we both agree here that it's probably should be Byron. And um, yeah, no Bill O'Brien, please. Let's figure out what the hell's going on with Trent Balky. And um, oh, you know, I almost got out of here without us doing our picks. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and get. We got to do our picks. Put them on the book. Let's let's, let's go ahead and keep a postseason pick them. I'll go ahead and write them down here as we go, uh, and we'll, we'll keep in the notebook and we'll get a little postseason pick them. What do you think we should do for uh, best postseason record here? Round of beers. All right, you got it. Round All of right, beers. So- the closest happy hour. Let's do it. Um, let's make sure we got this pulled up correctly here. We got six yep. wild card right. games this weekend. So let's go ahead and do it. Let's start at the top of this bracket I'm looking at here. Chiefs versus Steelers, which I know that's on Sunday night, so this is not in chronological order. But Chiefs versus Steelers. You want to go with the points here or you want to go just straight up? Straight up. Well, I've got the Chiefs. I do as well. Does anybody actually think the Steelers are going to win this game? I, I'd like to no, see uh, anybody who thinks that. They've been counted out quite a bit this year, and they've done a good job of overcoming uh, a lot of you know not-so-great situations. You know, Ben Roethlisberger is not playing the best football out there uh, to close his career, but they're getting the job done, finding a way. But we are taking the Chiefs there. All right. Bengals Raiders. Oof. Oof. This one's tough for me. It's in Cincinnati. The Bengals are playing absolutely phenomenal football. The Raiders coming off a huge win against the Chargers to get in, but I've got to lean Bengals here. I think they've just got more firepower. They've got a better offense. Um, you know, and the Raiders have kind of been around for the last couple of years, kind of just hanging on by a thread, but they've never been able to really kind of take that next step, right? To show that they're legitimate. Not saying the Bengals have either, but what I have seen from their rookie wide receiver and that offense is that they can go out there and beat anybody, as we saw last week with them beating the Kansas City Chiefs. So, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago now at this point, but. I have to go Bengals here. I mean, I really don't think that the Raiders are going to go into Cincinnati and, and do anything spectacular. I think that Bengals offense can just take off at any moment. Yeah. Now I wouldn't be surprised either way with this one because the Raiders, they've been counted out all year ever since John Gruden got the ax and rightfully so him getting the ax, not them being counted out because they've fought back and they have just kept kind of like the Steelers kept chugging along. They've dealt with more adversity than pretty much any team out there. I mean, between uh, the John Gruden situation and the um, Henry Ruggs, unbelievable that they've been able to make the playoffs. But I will go with the Bengals as well. They are at home in Cincinnati. Uh, I think they're a better team, but the Raiders are just – they're a little sneaky, I feel like. But I'm going to take the Bengals. Sounds good to me. Got us both down for the Bengals. All right, let's see if we can uh, break the break the tie here. Patriots Bills, Patriots at Buffalo Bills. How much Saturday you, night? Let you take that one first. What are you thinking? I will 
check the weather. <laughs> I think last I saw that it was <laughs> zero negative six. I don't know what the, what the breeze is supposed to be like down there, but last time we saw a crazy windy game, we know how that one ended up. And if uh, if it was going to be the same, I know how I'd lean. Let's see. Yeah, Saturday. High of 11 degrees. Is there any pre- precipitation? Not really. There's going to be some wind. Probably not 60 miles an hour, though. <laughs> no, no. No, not 60. It looks like 10 to 13 miles an hour. That is a tough one. It is hard to go against the Patriots in the playoffs, man. It is. I'm going to take the Bills. Bills. All right. Oh, man, this one's tough for me. I actually picked the Patriots already once in another pick and pool. I, I've gone back and forth with this game consistently. I'm going to go ahead and take the Pats here. I mean, like I said, I, I I I don't know if the Bills have arrived yet. I don't think the Pats have either, but I think the Pats have a chance to make an upset here. Bill Belichick, you'd never bet against him. I've learned that the hard way many a times. And again, like I said, I, just, I don't think the Bills are ready yet. The Bills are a better team, and they should win this game. But I think the Patriots find a way uh, to force an upset. I'm going to go Patriots. I'm not a big fan of the fact that our separating game right now is me picking against the Patriots. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? Like I said, you never pick I don't against like Bill. That. Sorry, I won't be, it won't be the only one. Trust me. All right. Well, I don't think the next one's going to be any disagreement. Eagles, Bucks, and Tampa. Go ahead. I'm taking the Buccaneers, obviously. That's funny because you said there wouldn't be any disagreement there. I got to disagree. I'm going with the Eagles. I think they're riding oh my high. God. I know. I think they're riding high. I think the Bucks offense has hit a little bit of, of a stutter here. You lost Chris Godwin. Uh, Mike Evans is still on the injury report. You don't know how he's going to play. AB's gone. Um, you know, Lenny is still banged up as well. We haven't seen much from Ronald Jones. Now, the defense, the defense has been spectacular. And the defense can win in this game. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But Shaquille Barrett also on the injury report this week. Who knows if he's going to be 100%. So a lot of question marks. An Eagles team who I think are really just going out there to kind of play loose, right? Like no one expects them to win. There's no expectations for them. They've been playing better. The offense has been playing better. Their lack at receiver really scares me. I won't lie. Um, But we've seen the road team, especially the last couple of years, be very successful. And I think when you come out, uh, and you're, you know, you you are David, and and you're facing Goliath. You play with a lot less tension, right? There's no pressure on you. If you lose, I mean, it's okay. Everyone, obviously, it's not okay, but everyone expected that. Like no one's expecting them to come out win. I think the Eagles can go in there. I think they can put an upset on it. I'm going to take the Eagles. You know who handles pr- pressure pretty well? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady does, and then Tom Brady will be the sole. If the Bucks win this game, which I look, don't don't get me wrong, uh, I still think they have a very great chance to win this game. But I think everything kind of lines up nicely for one huge upset, and I think it's going to be the Eagles. Man, I do. I like it, and I like the fact that now our separators are me picking Brady, <laughs> you picking the Patriots. Yeah. So I don't feel so bad now. Even a right. little bit. 49ers, Cowboys, and Dallas. This is a big one. Um, I went first last time. You go first this time. All right. I think this team has been hot as of late. I think this team is going to do what they do best and run the football. Um, I, I, I struggle with the fact that they've come on as of late, but the Cowboys have not really shown me anything over the last couple of years 
uh, to think that they're anything different than what they are. And they've been pretenders over the last couple of years, right? They have great seasons. Um, they get stuck in the playoffs. And the 49ers, I think, are a team that is built to last in the playoffs. A fantastic offensive line that knows how to run the ball. A great offensive scheme. A player like uh, Debo Samuel who can really do anything um, and really throw the the, the – Cowboys defense through a loop here. I'm going to go 49ers. This is an old school rivalry, one we haven't seen, I think, since 93 in the NFL playoffs. I just think that that we're talking about a first game, a first playoff game, a wild card game. It just feels right to me. The 49ers are going to go in there and get a big win in Dallas. Yeah, my head says 49ers as well. I want to pull for the Cowboys because I do love Dak. Um and a lot of the guys on that roster I find fascinating. I mean, Micah Parsons might be the best defensive prospect or rookie defender that we've seen. And I don't know how long uh, Diggs is out there. Obviously he's volatile, but he's had one of the best uh, seasons in terms of interceptions that we've seen in a really, really long time. Dan Quinn denying the Jaguars interview until after the season. Uh, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, I, I really do appreciate the growth that he showed changing his defense, kind of trying to become a more aggressive defense over in Dallas. And uh, I, I like all that. I really do. But I think the 49ers are going to win this game. It's a lot of love for the Cowboys. Hate the 49ers. Also note, you know, obviously no Michael Gallup over there for the Cowboys either. So CD Lamb is going yeah. to be on lockdown city. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I just think the 49ers are going to run the ball. I think that the way they get the hand the the ball into the hands of their playmakers uh, that they have, which they're extremely dangerous, like you said, in Samuel and Kittle, and they've got a lot of other guys that can get the job done. Yeah, I'm going to take the 49ers as well. Shanahan always seems to have a little bit in his in his back pocket, right? Something up the sleeve for come playoff time. He he usually thrives when, once he gets there. He doesn't always get there, but when he does, he thrives. Yeah. All right. So our final pick for this weekend is going to be Cardinals and Rams in Los Angeles. That is a huge divisional matchup, uh, a matchup that we've gotten to see quite a bit over the last couple of years with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury going up against Sean McVay. Now he's got Matt Stafford. He's got Cooper Cup, the triple crown winner this year with the receptions, the yards and the touchdowns. Heck of a contest here. I'm going to take the Rams. Rams. Oh, man, for me, this is the biggest toss-up. This was harder to pick than me taking the Eagles over the Bucks. I won't lie to you. You see the exact same team on both sides, right? An explosive offense when they want to be. Uh, a dominant defense when they want to be. Both teams were able to, to have a chance last week to go out there and take control of their own destiny, right? The Rams win and they win um, not only the NFC West, but I think they, they had a much better playoff seating. I think they were the second seed as well at that point. Um, Cardinals go out and win. And with the Rams loss, they can take control of the division and they move up the board, but they, they couldn't get it done either. So two teams limping in, um, you know, it, it kind of sets you up for, for failure. I think when you, when you look at this game and try to pick it, who's hot right now? Who's hot right now? I really don't know. Matt Stafford, I mean, they, they looked like they came out hot last week. Let the 49ers come all the way back. So I, I'm going to have to go ahead and say I'm going to take the Rams here. They're at home. They did win the division. 
but there's not a lot of of positives that I could go out there and and lay out for them to to give them the edge in this game. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I just think the Rams are much more experienced in these situations. Uh, Stafford obviously has not done much in the playoffs throughout his career. Uh, I kind of was betting this year, and we talked about it, on the Cardinals falling off. They did fall off, but not to the extent that they didn't make the playoffs. I think you know this was their year to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to uh, make a bunch of noise in the playoffs this year. I think perhaps next year that could be the leap that they make. So it all comes down to Pats, Bills, Eagles, Bucks. Those are our pick 'em up games. Yeah, and we can um, we can pick those games as they happen, but we should go ahead and pick our conference champions and Super Bowl champions. All right, let's do it. Oh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, I mean, I feel comfortable. I've had the Chiefs all year. I'm going to continue to ride with the Chiefs. Uh, Shout out to my in-laws, my family. They're huge Chiefs fans from Kansas City. I believe in them. I think Pat Mahomes, with all those weapons, with the revamped offensive line, with the defense that's been playing better, I just think they're going to be, you know, third time in a row, they're going to make the Super Bowl. All right. For my AFC pick, this is probably going to surprise a lot of people here. I'm not going with the Chiefs. Um, I'm going with the Bengals. I I think that they're playing great football right now. The offense is absolutely humming. They just beat the Chiefs in a fantastic game two weeks ago. Um, you know, I think everything points to them as taking that stride this year. I really do. I think Joe Burrow is special. I think the trio of receivers they have with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd are phenomenal. I think Joe Mixon is one of the best running backs in the run game and in the pass game in the NFL. Their defense does leave a lot to be desired. Don't get me wrong. But when I look at everything we've got going on here, the Titans have the bye, right? I don't think the Titans scare me more than the Chiefs would be. And look at the Bengals and the way they played against the Chiefs. They can win a shootout. All it takes is one stop. So I think at some point the Bengals are going to get that extra gear. Like I mentioned, they're going to kick it through. I think the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I love that pick. That would be such a great story. Right, it would. I think it'd be fun. And, and you know, again, the defense scares me scares me a lot, but that offense and what they're doing right now, what Joe Burrow specifically has been doing the last couple of weeks. I mean, if they play like that, there's very few teams that are going to be able to beat them. And if they do, it's going to have to be in a shootout. Yep. All right. Who you got in the NFC? Oh, the NFC is another tough toss up for me, but uh, I'm going to have to go with the green Bay Packers because they've got the home field um, and everyone's got to go through Lambeau. It gets cold up there. The Packers don't lose in Lambeau. They've still got Aaron Rodgers. He's on a revenge tour. I just think it kind of, you know, sets the perfect storm. So I got Packers, Bengals in the Super Bowl. Rogers revenge tour. I like it. I don't like it more than Tom Brady, uh, which pains me to say it. I just think, uh, I think the Buccaneers are going to be too good with that defense. And I think they'll figure out a way to get, get it going on offense. Byron Leftwich coaching them up over there and Tampa calling the plays. I'm taking the Buccaneers and the Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl for the second consecutive year. Nice, nice. I, I uh, must say, the second consecutive Super Bowl. There, it, it's funny because now at this point, um, either you are going to be set off great after Wild Card Weekend, 
uh, or I'm going to be set off great because that means if I win this week, then your uh, Super Bowl pick or at least your NFC champion is out. out. Yeah. So that's tough, man. But I had to look back the way they played last year uh, in Washington. Obviously, they didn't have to have Washington come to them. They had to go to Washington, unfortunately, with the seeding. But, man. That's, and that's Washington a, almost beat them. They did. That's a good one. Chiefs, Bucks, repeat. You don't see the repeats that often in the NFL. Which is great. No, it's hard. Right, it's right. Hard. with the, with the parody. So it'd be kind of. I'm not gonna lie. It'd be kind of cool to see it. I, I kind of flip on both coins. I don't want to see a repeat because that's kind of boring. But at the same time, it's like that doesn't happen very often. So we'll see. As many as Brady could squeeze out before he's gone, I think is also pretty cool. Yeah. So you've got Bengals and um, Green Bay. Who was Bengals? Packers. Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Who's winning? Packers. I think the Packers are getting the Super Bowl here, man. I just think that they've got. Just too much power on offense right now. Aaron Rodgers playing the way that he is, absolutely putting up MVP numbers. I mean, he's been playing some of his best football in his career at this point. And Devontae Adams is, is having a phenomenal year. And Alan Lazard and, you know, the the myriad of tight ends that they've had come through and, and all be successful. You've got Aaron Jones. You've got A.J. Dillon. You've got a little bit of a plug-and-play offensive line, but they've been playing well, right? And the defense has shown that they can be dominant too at times. I think it's all perfect that Rodgers' revenge tour, man, it is coming and it's coming fierce. I think if Rodgers wins this, he sells off into the sunset. He calls it a career. He's done. Um, And, you know, the NFL and sports in general, to me, I think you always kind of follow the story, right? Like a story pops up, it catches on, and it runs its way through it at the end. There's always a happy ending. I think Rodgers and the Packers get one more on his way out the door um, and everything's perfect in, in, in Green Bay. And, and you know, there's no hard feelings. He doesn't have to leave and go elsewhere. He doesn't have to score in a fan base. He wins Super Bowl, rides off to the sunset, and it's close the book. Man, he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table if he decides not to uh, keep playing here. But Rodgers is his own guy, no doubt about that. So I have Chiefs-Bucks rematching the Super Bowl. The Chiefs could not protect Patrick Mahomes last year. That was their biggest downfall in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers. They went out. They addressed their offensive line in free agency via trade and via the draft. They are much improved in that regard. I'm taking the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, and hopefully I can just have a nice, enjoyable Super Bowl Sunday with my in-laws. They can be happy that the Chiefs are winning. And, uh, yeah, they were my Super Bowl pick at the beginning of the year. There's nothing that I've seen to move me off that. I still think Patrick Mahomes is the most dangerous quarterback in football. They've got great weapons, improved defense. And again, that offensive line was the point of emphasis this off season. I think they did a good job with that. I'm taking them to win it all. Yeah. It would definitely be a good game again. Like you mentioned that that offensive line was an issue last year. They went out and addressed it through trades, through the draft, through free agency. I think they had what five new starters at one point this year, the top rated rookie center, who's also the top-rated center in the NFL and the top-rated rookie guard. I mean, you couldn't do it any better than they did. They've definitely set themselves up to potentially go and make another run. Yeah. So good stuff. That'll do it for our playoff wildcard weekend picks for our Super Bowl and conference champion picks. We'll see how it all plays out. And, of course, you know, if one of our teams goes down, we'll still pick the the following game right like if the buccaneers don't make it i'm still gonna pick what happens in the next week but um yeah that'll do it you got anything else to add here at the end no i'm good enjoy that win duval you know enjoy the last little bit of sweetness that you got from the jaguars and i hope things uh start to heat up pretty quickly in this offseason i'm ready for it yeah one last shout out to bold city brewery the one and only sponsor of the gin jag podcast 
Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. And go Jags. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.